It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, folks. Welcome back to, uh, you know what this is. If you're listening, if you've been listening to us for a while, it's Mountain West Wire. MWR.com. Jeremy Matt here. If you're new. Welcome aboard. The offseason doesn't end. We're actually preseason mode. You're like, wait a minute. But Matt, we're what, 90, as of recording, 94 days from week zero kickoff game, something like that? We're within 100 days. That, that, that I know. We're recording on May 22nd. And if you're a first-time listener, you're coming in at a really good time because this is the first of our 12 individual team preview podcasts that we'll be rolling out basically between now and week zero. So we're going to take you all the way through the summer. Yes, we'll have weekly yes weekly preview podcast. Uh, each team will make these as evergreen as possible. But if you remember the uh, unfateful twenty twenty offseason before we or yeah, before we knew <laughs> yeah. what was going on, Air Force happened to lose a starting quarterback. Like oh crap! And yeah. So fingers crossed, we don't have like a major major transfer or you know season going away. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. Speaking year. of transfers, maybe it's a good reason to refer people to mwire.com because I am still updating the transfer tracker. Because people are, people are still coming in, going throughout the Mountain West. So that may uh, or may not include, after we record this, uh, the focus of today's podcast, which is the Wyoming Cowboys. And just a heads up on the transfer stuff, there was a deadline. And all you had to do, it was May 1st. 
Yes. So if you tr- put your name in the portal prior to May 1st, you can play this upcoming year. Yes. So if any of these guys, I don't know if you'll put a note in there or whatnot, but just for people wondering, the one-year sit-out rule, you have to, or to, or I guess one-year freebie, you have to have your name pulled out, by, or not pulled out, but uh, put in the portal prior to May, May 1st, which a couple weeks ago. If a guy transfers next week, they're ineligible to play this year pending a waiver, but who knows what, how waivers work. But just a heads up. So if you see a, a guy move, it's like, well, he comes into Wyoming or Mountain West School, he may not be able to play this year. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. So one, yes, to check out that MWR.com, it's pinned. It's underneath um, our fold. So it's like the top article, I believe, underneath like the, the five most recent or articles we arranged. So look for that. And then also things to do before the season starts. And I like your first one or last time I put it, just watch, pay, watch the wall until August 27th. I highly discourage that idea. Go do, <laughs> <laughs> go do something fun outside. Enjoy nature. Uh, go watch Doctor Strange 2 if you haven't seen it yet or whenever – ever favorite movie or let me ask you this i know we want to keep it tight on that but uh what's your interest level of that nick cage movie that looks just weirdly entertaining and dumb and stupid 10 of 10 have you seen it i have not seen it okay it looks it's on my like, to watch list yeah it seems like uh, one of those why the heck not it looks just a dumb fun popcorn movie type of show so yeah check out some of that type of stuff all right so here's what we're doing here all wyoming cowboys will go over the offense defense the whole team essentially what happened during spring football and then we'll also go through the schedule and give our early written down and Matt keeps it in stone, but I, I may give myself a mug room. So we discuss this every year, but we're keeping note of our predictions now. Yes. And again, this is the third week of May. Don't hold us too closely to these. If you want to call them stone cold predictions, if you can, if you want, but uh, just let us know stuff happens next couple of months. You know just say that's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, for, for me personally, unless there's like a very, very compelling reason for me to change the record, I typically do not. Same with me. I may note, like we do also, if you're a first time listener, we do like kind of a, or we did not kind of, we do a mega giant preview about 10 days before the season starts somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. We're kind of recap this again. And we may note some, here's a change we made or a change we might be less confident or more confident about. So that's, we may not change, but I may say we're not super sure on, you know, while I mean, open up at Illinois with a new head coach. Yeah. Just, just say it. So stuff like that. So last year, here's how well I mean played out and they were ended up being fine. Seven and six with, with Craig bowl winning their winning their bowl game in convincingly fashion where they just off somehow Matt shocked everybody who knows Wyoming football offense played pretty good. <laughs> Well, they just they 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 ran over everybody on that Kent State defense in the mm-hmm. Potato Bowl. That's that's the platonic ideal of the Craig Bowl offense. The problem for the Cowboys last year is they had way too many offensive scuffles for their own good, which is the norm. And then the next day, which we'll get to, transfer mania happened Aaron Laramie. Yeah, so that's a thing too. But do they? So they finished seven to six, going to bowl game. Craig Bull's been exceedingly average at the, with the Wyoming off Wyoming team, not offense, but the Cowboys program coming over from North Dakota State a couple years ago. So they haven't been bad, but they haven't been able to even with the Josh Allen years. We bench all the time. We'll talk about their quarterback help wanted side, which is brilliant and also sad at the same time. But I guess the main takeaway from last year, they were as you mentioned offensive scuffles, but they also had a pretty good offense overall. There's the Still mysterious. Did it really happen? Utah State 44-17 victory on the road in Logan. Oh, that, that happened. I'm just saying. I'm just it's still a mystery to some people how that happened. I'm just saying how. <laughs> they put up 50 points versus NIU, but nearly blew up. 45 versus Ball State. 
Then they barely beat UConn in Mount Montana State. So they, and they scored thir- three points and lost to New Mexico. So they were all over the board where some weeks they were great. And there wasn't a trend where, oh, they were good against these bad teams, but bad against the good teams. For example, New Mexico loss, Utah State win, getting blown out versus Hawaii, barely beating NIU, it, losing to Fresno State, 17-0, no shame in that. But there was no rhyme or reason for how good or bad they were week, week to week. Yeah, and so you know they got off to that that four and start in September, but it seemed like yeah everybody was waiting for the other shoe to drop because as you mentioned, like the only convincing win they had in non conference play was that win against Ball State, mm-hmm. which you know at the time looked pretty impressive because you were talking about the defending MAC champions, mm-hmm. but then you know sandwiched around that was you know nearly blowing a lead to to a, an NIU team that in retrospect ended up being a lot better than anybody would have anticipated going into the year. Um, so- yeah, you know, so, so that that team ended up being very good, but then you know, going on the road and real, struggling against UConn, I think was maybe the first flashing red Uh-oh. warning light <laughs> of of what was to come, because you know, even though the defense played pretty well all year long, you know, they were they were seventy seventh overall by the end of last year in SP plus, seventy uh, ninth in uh, FEI. But, you know, the split between what they managed on offense and defense really tells you the story of the entire year. Because on defense, according to SP+, they were 44th, which, you know, I think a lot of people anticipated that might be around where they finished. Problem was, the offense was 87th. And that's despite having a good ground game. We've talked about shows early in the year. We'll get to transfers, but Xavier Valley is now Arizona State's. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, Taylor Swen, like, he outplayed them essentially. They had, like, their, their running back group, those two guys, when they were healthy, were – up there within the Mountain West, but it again I mean, goes back. The passing game was the problem in quarterback yeah. play. And I mean, I, I think, you know, if you take a look at like the aggregate of the year, I think it is a little deceptive just because, you know, I, I throw out SP plus, I throw out FBI, but like, if you look at net points per drive, for example, they were slightly above zero relative to like the national average. So they were 66th in net points per drive and 76th in available yards percentage per drive. So for the latter, like if you're, if you aren't familiar with that, basically it's, you know, the percentage of of yards earned on average per drive, basically. So if you're starting at your 25, you have 75 yards to go. If you travel to the opponent's 25 yard line, that's 50 out of 25. So that's 66.7%. That's sort of the, the short version of that. So on the aggregate, you know, they were right around average nationally in terms of like, you know, points allowed versus points given up and, you know, maybe a little bit slightly below average in available yards percentage. But when you look at what they accomplished on a per game basis, like you mentioned that they were really all over the map. And, you know, I think that really bears itself out where, you know, those aggregate numbers end up looking a little bit deceptive because they had some of those sort of highlight games you mentioned, you know, the bowl game, you mentioned the Utah State blowout, but then, you know, they had serious offensive outages in the middle of the year. And I think, you know, when I was doing research, looking back in the last year, there was really one statistic, I think, tells the entire story. Which one was that? When Wyoming managed at least two points per drive in a game last year against FBS opponents, they were 6-0. It's pretty good. When they were under two points per drive? They were 0 and 6. Yeah. What about the bowl game? Was that information from that? In, that includes that includes the bowl game. The only game that doesn't include oh, is the Montana opener State. Montana State. Never, never yeah. mind. FBS. Okay. And <laughs> and so you know you you take a look at all of that and you think okay well and and this you know we knew last year going in that they were one of the more experienced teams not only in the Mountain West but anywhere in the country 
like everybody else essentially so and so you look at it and you say you okay they finished seven and six they were two and six in commerce they missed their chance and they had a lot of transfer portal upheaval that you mentioned earlier but then you look at what they've quietly done in the month since then and we talked about this a little bit last week sort of uh in looking and in looking back over spring football practice in particular but if you take a deeper look at what they've accomplished basically since that early upheaval like in december and january like they quietly put together a squad that should be able to at a minimum go out and do what they did last year. And they might still be that same kind of dark horse that everybody's been talking them up as for the past two or three seasons. And it's just a matter of, you know, how well they can answer some of the most pressing questions, which we're going to get into as we go through this podcast. Yeah. So let's start with that, the transfer stuff, because within 24 hours, Levi Williams got yes. quarterback. They lost. I, mean, I talked to Ryan Thorburner. I'm ready to show work on. He was on a couple weeks ago from trip.com. Um, I'm pulling the transfer list, but they have, I know there has been a change because didn't Solomon Bird go from Georgia Tech to USC? Yes. So, yeah. Solomon Bird's at USC. Jalen Pate is at Northwestern. Ravante Holtz and Victor Jones are at Akron. Aren't there six? Uh, went to Power Five schools, right? Like Isaiah Nair. Yeah. Yeah. Be, Isaiah Nair be, went to Texas. He's going to be the star at Texas getting, catching passes with Quinn Ewers. It might be a blit in the cough player if when yours lives up to the hype. I'm like, Xavier Valade, Arizona State. Mm-hmm. This team, okay, this might be hyperbole, but I know everybody doesn't stay. And quarterback plays an issue, whether it's Levi Williams. Um, oh, shoot, who's the other guy they had last year? Um, I'm blank Sean Chambers. Yeah, Ch- oh, yeah, Sean Chambers. Yeah, both both quarterbacks. They keep these guys. Like I know you mentioned Swin and running back, but they keep Nay or they keep these offensive weapons. They, they would be more the dark horse team to me to win the di- division. And I know they got an Alabama receiver. They got guys from other power five coming in about the same one out that came in, but, and hopefully there's an article that, tri- that they put up over at trib.com for, I think it's probably Thorburn likely just mm-hmm. basically how, like you mentioned, they, after the upheaval of guys leaving, they've kind of figured out who they are and like, Oh, they want to stay. And that's part of it is Craig bull can't be the authoritarian head coach. It's my way or the highway. You're coming here. You can't leave. If you're not, and we've talked about this many times, if you're not somewhat nice or at least transparent of what your role really is, you're not going to say, Hey, you're going to come and start or play 70% of the games mm-hmm. as a true freshman. Like, Hey, you have four games to play. If we're going to, if you're going to play, you can still register. So we'll see you in a career. You can get, we can see you and maybe you're two developing or just being more honest and what they want to do with these players. Instead of once you're there, you're stuck and locked in, you lose your eligibility. So it's not a problem getting guys, and there's also a problem developing your own guys they leave, which maybe that one-year transfer rule for be maybe it's a tweaking, but it's, I'm fine with it. But there are, there always could be, it could always be better, I think, so the players don't lose. Like, look what's going up with Pitt and the wide receiver going to USC, a Blentnikoff winner. It's like, come on. Yeah. So, but beyond that, it's, he's got to be nice to the players and kind of be more open with them and things like that. And maybe it's NIL stuff because I, he said there's not relating a Wyoming, but Majority of players aren't getting those big figures we talked about last week. So if you're going there to earn money, you go to Wyoming football to Laramie, it's like you're kidding yourself. You're not going there for the best reason for yourself. If you want to go make even a thousand bucks a season. Who knows what you can get, but I'm just saying. But since all that's happened, losing talent, losing players, which happens, it was just with Wyoming's purposes within a day, all these quarterbacks leaving, running backs leaving, everybody's leaving within a week. Mm-hmm. And Craig Bull puts out, we made jokes about it. I've heard other podcasts, other writers, national guys write about it. Hey, help wanted quarterback. We put Josh on the NFL. It's like, that's brilliant, but also desperate at the same time. Because if you were already that good, wouldn't you be selling that to future quarterbacks to come in years ago? 
And so hopefully they've learned they can figure things out. But I believe what we will see is that Craig Bowles kind of uh, changing a little bit about what it, about what he needs to be as head coach. And hopefully for the player, he had 13 total players under the portal between this is, this may have changed, but this is from the potato bowl until start of spring practice. And that's a lot. And there's a million reasons. Like we saw, was it former one running back Brian Hill kind of allude to Craig bull kind of being iron fist guy. It's like, well, you know what you're getting into when you go there something mentioned about along those lines. Yeah. But hopefully it seems like he made, and we talked about before, maybe change his tune. Maybe he needs to realize, okay, here's what I need to do for my team. Like I need to soften this, harden this, be more uh, like, it's like right here. I'm trying to meet more with the players and not, so this is not a, this is different than what happened to Todd Graham in Hawaii, where he's specializing in treating players a certain way where he needs to. And this is it perfectly. I'm trying to meet with the players, not less as much on the formal meetings, but maybe, Hey, you're eating food or having lunch or dinner at the, at the university or at the uh, football facility, go chat with them, stuff like that. More uh, casual, friendly conversations. Not that you want to be their friend, but to show, Hey, what's going on. And kind of a, yeah. informal fun chat to kind of get to know them better and see what's going on. And so that, I think that's a good thing he's learning from. And that's what we talked about before. Like, could this really happen? Can he change like that? And hopefully it does. Cause Wyoming's always been, and they've had Jeff, uh, Joe Tiller. They had all these guys before, even when Dave Christian was there, they were always just right there. Good enough to screw somebody's season, but not good enough to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good thing going forward for players. They lost and going forward. And last year was the first time going to four. No, was, First time since they went to the WAC title game in 96. So we'll see. And they caught like, he, I'm just reading that's kind of all the embarrassing losses, stuff like that, big wins. Like, it's all over the board. So, who are the guys like going through your transfer pool to be putting? Like, who are, I guess we'll start with the quarterback because I always like to. And I have an article pulled up in front of me. Utah State transfer Andrew Peasley is looking to be the front runner. Yes. They had their spring game and he, and he came in like Utah State. He played, what did he play, Matt, the first three to four games when they were trying to figure out their health issues in Logan? Was it something like that? Yeah. I mean, and I, I think when you look at what Peasley's done over the last two seasons with the Aggies, like you do have to take it with a grain of salt just because that, that 2020 team in particular was so abysmal. Yeah, that I don't agree it's, with it's, that. You really do have to sort of grade that on a curve. Like They didn't really have a lot going on on that offense. And so what I look at as sort of a – a thing that I'm hanging my hat on if I'm a Wyoming fan is the fact that he improved his yards per attempt average pretty substantially when he saw the field last year in Blake Anderson's offense. You know, the year before uh, in 2020, he was at 5.7, not very good. Last year though, he was at 8.1, which is actually much better. And, and coincidentally enough, that is roughly what Levi Williams ended up averaging over the course of the season last year for the Pokes as well. So I think if he could keep that up, that'll be a really good sign, especially since this is an offense that, I, you know, they, they might spread out a little more often. They might have go three wide a little more often, but I don't think they're ever going to confuse anybody with like a, you know, a run and shooter, an air raid type offense that other teams in the conference are going to be running. I think the trick for him is, can he be more accurate? Because, you know, that's one thing that didn't necessarily improve when he saw the field last year. For his career, he's still only averaging 53.8% in terms of completion rate. And so that's one thing I look at that, you know, when when we talk about last year's offensive struggles, that was really what it came down to for, for Chambers in particular. 
you know, Chambers only averaged, you know, 50%, 50.8 on the season. And he was a little more turnover prone, definitely, than you would like him to be. You know, he had seven interceptions and just 177 passes. That's an interception rate of nearly 4%. That's not going to get it done. And, and Williams, yeah. you know, to his credit, was or actually I should maybe reverse that because I just did the math on that. He wasn't really <laughs> any better about preventing turnovers. You know, his turnover rate was uh, over 4% as well. So those are two big things that I'm, I'm looking at. If I'm, if I'm Craig Bull, if I'm offensive coordinator, Tim Polisek, and if I'm fans looking for, you know, avenues where the offense can improve and take some of the pressure off defense, those are two big things that I'm looking at. Yeah. And then looking at, and, and it, let's make this fact none of people realize like this offense is different than what Utah State and Blake Anderson were doing yeah they're not gonna throw as much but I do remember the I think I joked on Twitter DMs the first press conference Craig Bull had during spring it, like you could have plucked it from any of the previous years he's been at Wyoming essentially mm-hmm. like we want to throw the ball more we want to do this I'm like then here's the thing Craig Bull show us we believe you when you show us and you show us that you don't do it very often and so don't come out and lie to us and say you're gonna throw the ball like that maybe like you had Isaiah Nayor who played really good. He still couldn't get the ball passing enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a quarterback player issue or if it was an offensive issue with him or his OC, but he comes out and says the stuff. I'm like, it's a gigantic eye roll because he never does it. And so I won't believe it until I see it with the passing game. Mm-hmm. And now what they're going to have to do looking at the transfers to lose Nayor, but they're going to do a pretty big committee type of uh, receiving game because there's nobody Bat, we're kind of bounced around. We're not getting specifically the offense, but more transfer guys are getting. But who else is coming in that you felt was great for these teams? Like you get, like they lose Bird, they lose certain guys. Like who's coming in? You think besides these guys that are like, hey, we're gonna make sure. Like these guys might see time this year. Like you had, you've been on top of the portal list. I've been going through. But like when you're when you're going through incoming guys, like we mentioned Peasley, a couple quarterbacks. Like that's still a challenge. Who on like anybody you see that's coming in? Like hey, this guy's gonna make a good impact on certain teams. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, I mean, I do think that the other quarterback they brought in from the transfer portal, from the Juco ranks, Evan Svoboda, could be interesting, if only because he's definitely got that, you know, at least in terms of like speaking physically, he's a guy that's what, 6'5 and 240. That's a prototypical Craig Bull <laughs> that's quarterback. That's huge. 
That's but not also, a defender. Come on. But also, you know, if, if you look at what he did during the spring game, he's also probably still very raw. And so that, that I think would put maybe a little more pressure on Peasley to try and develop. Um, I mean, other than that, I mean, there are other guys I could mention as we go along. I don't know if I necessarily want to give away the game all, all at once. Well, then we can move forward. Then let's do, let's see who, who they lost. Let's go that way. That might be a better way. Who are they losing? Like we mentioned all the power five guys like Levi. Well, not Levi, but he's going to Utah State. Like who are guys you thought were big? We mentioned Nayar. We mentioned – who else have we mentioned here? There's so many. Javon Ballard, Arizona State. You mentioned Jalen Pate to Northwestern. Bird, mm-hmm. not USC. Who else would you think like kind of big losses out there? Because they had a handful of the power five losses of the uh, players going away. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we get to the defense, but I think, you know, the two names that we haven't mentioned yet that are probably the biggest losses we haven't talked about are the cornerback tandem of CJ Colden and uh, Azizi Hearn, who ended up at Oklahoma and UCLA respectively. Okay. All right. So let's do this. And do you want to just get to the offense since we'll go kind of these transfers as they were helpful or not helpful coming in and going? Does that work? Yeah, and I think I think it's sort of helpful because you know even if the quarterback situation is still mostly uncertain, like it, you know you mentioned, Peasley looks like the guy. I would be surprised if he's not the one under center in Champagne in in week zero. But the upside for this offense is that we know what they're going to do, mm-hmm. which is run the football. Yeah, exactly. And there's a very good chance they could continue doing that exceptionally well even despite losing Valaday and, and also Trey Smith to the NFL, mm-hmm. because you, know, you look at the, you look at the depth chart and there could be, you know, three or four guys who step up. And if they perform as well as they looked during the spring game, you know, that's just going to cause a whole new you know barrel of headaches for defensive coordinators all around the conference. Yeah. And that's all. And it doesn't matter. It's good. They have to swim back, swim back there or not swim, but um, they have, Sorry, the depth you mentioned, excuse me, I'm reading three things at once here. But it doesn't matter who they have. There's going to be some guy because last year, oh, Valade is amazing, great. But then, oh, wait, this guy's going to get 15 carries and get how many yards? Yeah, and, I mean, Swen, Swen only averaged 10 carries per game last year. Yeah. But do you realize, according to Pro Football Focus, he was actually the top-rated running back in the conference? I wouldn't surprise me for how, how well he did because I know he wasn't getting a million carries a game, but his very efficient – and his, I guess, the ratio of uh, percentage of playing time. And and and, and, and and 2021 wasn't a fluke either. Like, he was really good in 2020, too. Like, for his career, he's averaging 5.6 yards per attempt. And, you know, for, for a Wyoming running back, like, that's exactly where you want to be. But the good news is, you know, even despite losing Valaday and the workload that he's shouldered over the last, you know, handful of years – there's other guys coming up right behind Swen who could very easily replace Valaday and Smith. You know, first on the list that I'm looking at is Dewayne McNeely, who, you know, small sample size last year, only 17 carries, but he averaged over six and a half yards per carry when he did it. And he, you know, he flashed a lot of explosiveness, you know, in those limited opportunities. And, you know, he was maybe the one guy in the spring game who, who had the most opportunity to do more of that. And, oh, by the way, when you ignore the snap minimum on pro football focus, he was the third best running back in the Mountain West last year. In what regards? Like in overall efficiency. grade. Oh, oh, sorry. Great. Okay. I was like, wait, I thought you mentioned another stat there. Yeah, yeah. And so who knows if that'll correlation will keep going for the uptick of more carries will keep that production the same. So I think, you know, that for me, the question is like, if, if those two guys look like, you know, the best bets to step up and, and take on the, the lion's share of the running game workload. 
what is that going to mean for guys, you know, who are maybe a little further down the depth chart, like DQ James and uh, Spencer Brash, or excuse me, Joseph Brash, you know, both of whom also showed out during the spring game, you know, those three McNeely, James and Brash had over 250 yards in that game. Yeah. I don't think they necessarily, the way Craig bull does it, they don't need one guy. No, they want us. They want a main guy essentially. No, but they had, they had, I mean, if, if you include the quarterback tandem of Williams and Chambers, they had four players last year who averaged at least eight yards or excuse me, eight carries per game. And, and in years past, they have typically had, you know, two or three or four guys who have shouldered that. Like, yeah, I think, you know, the best case in point is if you go back to, you know, 2019, you know, that was when, you know, Valaday was averaging 20 carries per game, yeah. but, you know, Swen was averaging eight carries per game as well. Smith had 11 carries per game and, and Chambers and Williams were also averaging, you know, 11 to 13 carries as well. So like, you know, that, that kind of sort of share for, you know, three, four, five guys in the backfield is something that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. And just, I'm interested to see sort of how that shakes out, especially since, unlike Williams and Chambers, I would imagine they are probably not counting on Peasley to be as much of a running quarterback. That's yeah, just wondering, like, who's going to get those yards or attempts? Because they yes. weren't all, oh, I'm good. <clears throat> they weren't all going to take off running. They were designed runs, which there will be some, I'm betting less. Yeah. I mean, okay. as a team, you know, that a lot of things were really frustrating to watch last year on offense. But the one thing they had going for them was that they ended up 35th in expected points added in terms of their ground game nationally. And so I would, I think even with the new faces in the backfield that are going to take on more work, it would not shock me if this was still a top 50 running game at worst by that metric and others. Yeah, that's good. That's what they would need to be because we know Peasley's a better thrower. I would say than Williams and Chambers they've had because that's what he's mostly done. Yeah. And so if the if the running game is basically within what deviation or not deviation, but like just kind of a uh, hmm. five whatever, like basically in the range within ten to fifteen spots of where they're last year up or down, like they're that, that sort of range where it's yeah, you know, comparable. Yeah. Simpler words. I'm saying twenty five words and five work comparable to last year. Slightly worse would be fine. Slightly better would be great, but it wouldn't change. But if they throw the ball. Like we could kind of move that area, but if the if the running game is their bread and butter and what it typically is every year, and if it's about the same as what we kind of expect, despite losing guys to the NFL, that'll put them in the right spot to be that team where maybe an eight win team somewhere to be a pass to like Air Force or Boise State or Utah State. But if we go to the receiving group here, that's where because here's the thing we say Isaiah Nayar, but they they are a team where they I, they might be better suited passing around instead of having one main amazing receiver board even though Nair was getting what he's getting in the receiving game the yards per catch was amazing one of the best of the conference maybe going around because he averaged 20 yards a catch 12 touchdowns but only three and a half catches per game mm-hmm. so i that they may be better even though it's not like they're forced the ball it's kind of that's not my point here i thought he had a few more catches per game but point being they spread around last year maybe that's what they that's what they've always done but they put tight ends in the nfl this receiver Nair will be in the NFL one day. They put guys to the next level. And they don't need, I don't, it'd be nice to have a 20 yard catch guy, but if, if they don't have the replacement for Nair, like a comparable 19.95, whatever, and 12 touchdowns per game, get somebody who gets third, get a couple guys to get 20 to 40 catches a game, somewhere in that range. Cause I think they're going to be throwing 
as we mentioned, because Pizzo is not going to run as much, Matt, he's going to, it's going to be, I don't know, five, <clears throat> what, what's the reasonable expectation? Five more passes a game in compared that, to Russia's? That might be asking a lot. You think, well, I mean, if only, a, if only because <laughs> over the last two years, they've averaged basically like 22, 23 pass attempts per game. Well, a couple more essentially. I just mean like they're not so like have those so like even runs. even in their best offensive years, like you know the year they won the division in 2016, mm-hmm. they still didn't throw the ball 28 times a game. Okay, say 25, just a couple more. Yeah, I think I, that's, just, I think that's more reasonable. I just meant a cut. I'm not looking to hard numbers, but a couple more game because there's going to be fewer design runs. Yeah, yeah. Next, so now, see, I think setting the bar at someone like Nair is exceptionally high. Oh, I'm not. I'm just saying, like they maybe they don't need him. They need it'd be nice, but. I th- well, here's here's the other thing. I think you're I think you're maybe overlooking. Can they find someone to, to at least produce what I never heard? That'd be helpful. Produce too, yes. because you know Everhart didn't average you know twenty yards a game like Nayer did before he got hurt last year. But over the last two years, over the last three years, he averaged fifteen yards per game. That's good enough. That's or yards per catch rather <laughs> per game. And so <laughs> I think that you know the good news is that it looks like they have at least one guy who could do that. And that's Joshua Cobbs. Had a good spring game, yes. Had a good spring game, came on fairly strong late in the year. Um, you know, he only had 25 catches on the year, but the majority of that came in November, or, or rather in the second half of the year. There was only one game down the stretch, basically, from uh, Halloween on, where he didn't have at least two catches, and that was the game against Boise State. So he was seeing more work down the, you know, down the line, and so I think, you know, the bigger question is, you know, if they're going to spread the ball around, how much more are they going to involve the tight ends, for example? And if so, can those guys, you know, like Trayton Welch, like Parker Christensen, you know, Colin O'Brien, can they stretch the field a little more often? Because they showed the capacity to do so more in the past. But, you know, for, for example, Welch and Christensen averaged under 10 yards catch last year. And, you know, they saw a fairly substantial workload by Wyoming standards. Between the two of them, they had 32 catches. If they can bump that up at least a little bit, I think that could be another step in the right direction. But they're still going to need targets on the outside, too. And that, to me, is one of the more pressing questions that this offense is going to have to answer going into the fall. But, you know, the upside is, you know, the other thing that you know this offense is going to have on hand is they're going to have big targets, and so you, oh. if you go down the line for guys who might step up into that, you know, Cobbs, for example, is six foot four. You know, Alex Brown, who also saw a lot of work down the stretch last year, also six foot four. Gunnar Gentry, whose surname you might remember from, from the Josh Allen years, he's six mm-hmm. foot three. Jackson Marcotti, Christian, you know, Christensen is six two, which makes him sort of an apparition at tight end. Oh. But Jackson Marcotti is six seven. Colin O'Brien <laughs> is six. Trayton Welch yeah. is six three. Like this is an offense that knows exactly what it wants to do. It wants to have big receivers who can stretch the field and go up and get those 50-50 passes. So for me, it's sort of finding those secondary weapons, whether it's Brown, whether it's Marcotti, or someone like Jalen Sargent, who's again six foot two, right in line with what this Wyoming offense is looking for. And and you know, Sargent had a touchdown in the spring game as well. So, you know, there's a lot of names in this position group that we may not be overly familiar with yet, but there might be one or two names that do make an impact, you know, by October, by November, who are, you know, making big plays, you know, those highlight real catches that we, that we see from this offense every so often. Yeah, it's just that we're still in the process right now as we're reporting in late May that we don't know who those guys are going to be yet with a lot of certainty. 
We made it know when spring practice comes or fall camp comes around just because they keep it close to best. But yeah, because like looking last year, like overall they had what two, three, four, six guys over 100 yards and six guys with 10 catchers or more. <laughs> like the production, if we're looking at what they did last year, they had they passed for 2,115 yards, 162 receptions. If we assume they're going to have 30 more passes on the year, does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Three game or something. Like maybe to get better well, completion, there's all sorts of different scenarios, but they threw 300 times last year. If they get up to 330, which is three more a game, like we kind of talked about, mm-hmm. and they, it's going to be better. Like even if everything else stays the same, completion percentage, all that stuff, that's just more yards going around and moving the ball more. Even if everything else is ideal, which clearly it won't, like interceptions will be different, touchdowns will be different, sacks will be different, all that'll be different. But if they're, I'm just saying, like if they get that 30, like, them, I don't think them throwing more is going to cause the offense to be worse. Do you think that that's a correct assessment? No, I don't think so. I think the, the, I think the only way that that might happen actually circles back to the question that you posed earlier about who do you think the biggest potential losses are, and some of the biggest losses on this team are not the not the ones that happen at the transfer portal. It's just what happens, you know, to good old fashioned graduations and stuff yeah, like that. That still happens. Yes, that's a thing. <laughs> and with that in mind, I think the maybe the biggest overall question that we haven't touched upon yet is what the offensive line is going to look like, because, you know, th- I think it's sort of a microcosm of what this team did well last year and where they struggled is the fact that the offensive line had a really big hand in being, you know, effective in terms of like running the ball, for example, you know, on offense, Wyoming was 26th in the country in average line yards per carry. You know, they were 19th in power success rate. So when it was like third and one and they needed to punch, you know, punch it forward for a first down, they were one of the better teams in the Mountain West or anywhere in terms of doing that. You know, they didn't get pushed backwards either. They were 35th with a 15.4% stuff rate. Um, but, on, but conversely, they were slightly below average in terms of like team sack rate allowed. And that problem was exacerbated on passing downs in particular. So overall, they were 76th with a, you know, basically a 7% sack rate, but that went up to 10% on passing downs. And now this unit is replacing four of last year's major contributors. And and I say last year's contributors, but these were guys who were multi-year contributors too. Keegan Kreider, Logan Harris, Rudy Stouffer, Alonzo Velasquez. But the upside is that they are not starting over. Yeah, I was looking at their depth chart. Like, if I'm looking over at ourlads.com, which is a great resource. Three, projected yeah. three of the five starters are seniors, fourth yeah. to junior. Yeah, and Frank, Frank Crum is back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where, you know, some of the guys who chose to return, like Eric Abijai, you know, you know, he's back. Zach Watts is back. You know, Latrell Bible is also back. And all three of those guys saw plenty of starting experience, you know, not only last year, but in previous years as well. And, you know, Watts in particular could be like a sneaky underrated dude because, you know, when he's healthy, he was one of the better offensive linemen that this team had last year. You know, he was, he was basically, I think the second or third best offensive lineman in terms of like, you know, overall grade by pro football focus. And so like, if he steps up into a starting role, if Bible steps in at center to replace Kreider, if, if Abijay holds down one of those guard spots, then great. Then the question becomes, you know, if they are as healthy as they did last year or as they were last year, which they were remarkably healthy by Mountain West standards, you know, then who's going to fill out the two deep? 
and, and we're going to learn a little more about some of the guys that I would expect will probably step into some of those roles. You know, guys like Marco Machado, who might be the primary backup to Bible now, you know, Nofo, Nofoafia Tulafono could be a guy on the interior. Uh, and maybe even, you know, the, the four-star true freshman that they brought in uh, Deshaun Woods could be one of those guys, you know, if he, you know, comes in in the fall and plays well, you, you never know with this track record of development and, and plugging guys in who, if, who, you know, if they prove they're ready to play, it doesn't really matter if they're an upperclassman or not. To me, I think depth there is maybe the most precarious issue, but yeah. if they can keep it together with the guys that they have coming back, this should be another good, if not great unit, but you know, maybe they have the potential for greatness there, but a lot of that is going to depend on how well they shore up some of the, some of the last year's shortcomings. Yeah. I think with the experience, the uh, maybe not experience, but years within the program will help. Yeah. And so they have new guys like they have a quarterback, the offensive line has new starters. There's a lot of new starters. Technically, if you look at new starters, there's about half the offense is technically going to be a new starter. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Titus Swen, technically a new starter. Not really, but Andrew Peasley, yes. Receivers, yes. Most of the offensive line, yes. And so that is a, that's a concern, but most of the guys being around, but the only real new guys is Peasley, and he's there during spring camp, which helps a lot. Yeah. And then whatever Deshaun Woods does, if he's going to be an instant starter as a freshman, he's at least talent-wise going to be in the mix for something. But I think depth and finding a new receiver, or not a new receiver, like a new pass catching group receiver, tight end, whatever, to kind of emulate last year's total numbers is kind of where I think the most yeah. important things. Block. And but we, they're a tradition. We know them running the ball. What Craig Bull has produced, like Brian Hill's NFL, David Valde eventually be the NFL despite being Arizona State this year. We mentioned the guys getting free agent contracts in the NFL. They put guys in the NFL. It's just a not a mystery, but it's just kind of if you're a Wyoming fan, kind of. A, you're kind of scratching your head about why is this team not better when they t- consistently have guys in the NFL? They currently have what 12 active NFL players, which is pretty good. Yeah. But you think, yeah, I mean, let's put, let's put like, you know, the stat that I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, they were 87th in offensive SP plus last year. Get to 70. Come on. If they could get to 70, that's like, that's probably two or three more wins than a lot of people are forecasting right there. Yeah. And look at their schedule, but there's, there's chances out there, but let's say we're yeah. going to move on here. Let's get to defense. Yes. Which is what Craig Bull is known for forever. Including, so was, including last year. He had, they had Chad Moomin go to NFL, had Logan Wilson starring in the Bengals in what year two. Mm-hmm. Both, if, we mentioned Andrew Wingard, Jacksonville, undrafted free agents playing. See, I got the threat team right too. I didn't say Bills. This is Jacksonville. Good stuff. job. I don't know why I've been saying Bills the past few months, but whatever. But they have guys in the NFL for a defense. And it's just, again, it's just kind of odd that they get those guys out there, but not better. But defense yeah. is always amazing. And there's always a linebacker going to step up. Like Chad Moomin's gone. There's going to be a guy right behind him coming in and be like, all right, you're the guy and you're going to start right away and be a potential double-digit TFL guy starting from day one because that's what we need from you and expect from you from that position. Insert yeah. name here. <laughs> well, okay. So if we're going to start up front, I think we yes. should start up front because I think that is where some of the biggest talents on this defense are. And if you look in the interior in particular at Cole Godbout mm-hmm. and Jordan Burdignall. You know, Godbout's a personal favorite of mine, just because I feel like, you know, since he came out as a as a freshman in 2019, you know, played all that year, had six tackles for loss, and he has more or less improved every single year. So, like while the stat sheet doesn't necessarily like, you know, scream, you know, breakout candidate, like he he might be. 
because, you know, in terms of like in, uh, PFF grades for interior defensive linemen, he was the third best player, you know, playing on the inside of any defender anywhere in the Mountain West last year. And so I think you look at that, you look at Bertignol, who's been, you know, more of a role player in his first couple of years with the Cowboys, but considering the, the losses that they had with the transfer portal, like, you know, Victor Jones, who had four and a half tackles, he's gone. Um, you know, Ravante Holt is gone as well. So like more is going to be expected of those two guys. But I think if I'm a Cowboys fan, I would feel really confident about their ability to step up and shoulder more of a load. And yeah, so last year, Godbout had five sacks as a nose tackle. That's pretty difficult. To get he's, he's, he's really good. Yeah. And like, I, I don't want to call him a breakout candidate because he's been pretty good for a few years now. Um, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where like, you, it's, it's really hard nose to pay attention to space. like Vincent Wolfwork in NFL. He's a giant guy when he played for the Patriots or Texans, I which, is, which is ironic because actually, you know, for, for a nose tackle, Godbout is a little bit undersized. Yeah. I think he's only like 270. Yeah. I'm looking at your bill C at 274. I put a little note there, but you typically it's a bit, there's giant guys who just push people around and hopefully you, your double team helps somebody else out. He's yeah. not necessarily so, that guy. So the, so the big questions there is like, okay, they have a, an interior tandem that should be able to do some damage. That's a yeah. good sign. Yes. The question is who's going to, who's going to step up and handle some roles behind them. Because they lost real quick, who they lost to? They lost Solomon Bird defensive end. Yes. To USC, they lost uh, Victor Jones to Akron defensive end, and, and Ravante Holt. Ravante Holt to Akron as well defensive tackle. Yeah. So we'll get the cornerbacks, but the end guys or linebackers are. And, and Garrett Crawley the NFL as well. Yes, Garrett. Yes, and, and again another NFL guy. So those end, edge guys are might be one of the more important spots to get a. Hey, who's coming in to yeah. uh, so, the sacks for us? They're waving so, the yeah, hand one, over here. Come on. <laughs> so what, one guy who's probably going to step up because he saw a lot of playing time as a, as a part-timer last year is uh, uh, Caleb Robinson. So I think, you know, the interior is set. But I think if you're looking at the edge rushers, that to me is the biggest question facing this particular defense this year because, you know, Godbout had five sacks. But, you know, you look at last year's contributors and nobody else had more than two. And for, for a defense that as a unit was really, I mean, they were, they were below average in terms of team sack rate. They were only 82nd nationally, 6.2%. They're going to need some new faces to step up. And so, you know, I think they have a sense of who they want those guys to be. And I look at, you know, you know, defensive ends in particular, you know, Oluwasei Omotosho is one guy, you know, Braden Siders, Devon Harris, you know, Keelan Cox, like you mentioned, he's a defensive end, I believe, as well. You know, those are four guys right there who I think, you know, name, again, names we're not necessarily familiar with, but they might just be like the next generation of Cowboys defenders who are going to step up and be a nightmare for the next few years because all of those guys are either redshirt freshmen or sophomores, I believe. So if you don't know them now, you will. I would say, yeah, based on past precedent, based on the track record that that bull and defensive coordinator Chase Sawbella put together, you will. Yeah, that's the thing in defense. There's going to be a guy, because again, I, I remember it all happened like years and years ago when Logan, like remember, I remember the one year we were talking about this team, their defense is like all young guys, they're garbage and terrible, but they end up being really good because they played from day one. Yeah, not that you're talking about the 2015 team, I think. <laughs> yeah, like Logan Wilson, true freshman, played well, but the defense wasn't doing much just because they're all young and not good. And now they're at the point where you don't need to play day one. You'll get reps here or there, play maybe a little bit year one, and kind of progressively play more as a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, something. And then you get in and you're you're ready to go. And you got your expectation is to step in for 
guy after NFL and be as maybe as good or within the range of being good or even better possibly. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they want. And they brought in guys like I get, well, I was kind of list a couple here. Like I know we're doing edge rusher, but like Cole, uh, DeMar, or DeMar's, Cole DeMar's our linebacker. Our linebacker yeah. Yeah. Sorry. He's coming in. They bring in um, like Cox from a defensive end. So they have a couple of you know, guys coming in from power five schools, not many defenders coming in, but it's mostly going to be, it could be those two guys plus guys who played a little bit last year. And so there's no reason for it to expect the defense to be, it should be about the same every year. Hopefully be better at some point. Like you want to get like an elite, elite defense, which is close, but losing, what are those two? Was it two guys in NFL, three guys on the defense? Uh, uh, Muma, well, Crawl signed, I believe he went to mini camps. Okay. Uh, who else? I'm trying to remember. I, I think, think that maybe, most of most of them were transfer portal <laughs> departures. Yeah, so I was thinking, yeah. With a few, yeah. and you know, there were some even some other guys in the defensive backfield, which we'll talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned Demarzo at linebacker, and he's just sort of one example of you know how yeah they're reloading at linebacker too. But they've all of a sudden probably got like four options that could step up and be part of that sort of starting tandem that they've come to expect in the four two five. Easton Gibbs, mm-hmm. he's going to lock down one spot. And, you know, while it's, it's obviously setting the bar very high to say he's going to be as good as Wilson and Muma. That's tough to beat, man. I mean, he might be, you know, he, he played alongside Muma last year. And if he can take another step forward, you know, that I think is going to do a lot to sort of shore up that, what is a, a, a very substantial loss, but, you know, then the question becomes, okay, great. Who's going to be the other starter and linebacker, but maybe it's DeMarzo. Maybe it's Connor Shea. Maybe it's Shea Suya-Anoa. You know, again, those are three guys for two spots, and and those are the you know those guys who don't are or rather aren't in the starting lineup, or might see a lot of playing time anyway. And so, again, we may not be as familiar with these guys coming up, but you know, Suya Unoa is a sophomore, so is Shea, so is Demarzo, and technically so is Gibbs. And even if there's you know a step backwards this year as as sort of you know maybe the learning curve stepping up into this defense, you know, they might be, they might take a step back this year and then be that much better for it in 2023. Yeah. But again, it's sort of hard to bet against them figuring it out just based off of the track record that bull and Sava will put together. Here's the thing. We would just say their SP plus defense last year, 44. So let's just say they're 55th, not a huge step back, but what if the offense is better a little bit? Like they're from what? 87 to 80. Exactly. And then the next year they're, because Peasley's around for a couple of years, like there's going to be trade-offs. So even if it's going down a handful of spots, that's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And it may take them where it could be one of those things where due to transfers, due to new players, due to schedule where they, let's say, I don't know if SP plus is split, but say their first half is 62, second half is top 40. And they'll end up being averaging 50 something because mm-hmm. they had a bad stretch at some point for whatever reason. And they, and it wasn't week to week. It was not like last year, which is kind of, Let's say their season is more consistent where – well, you know I'm getting that where they just progressively get better. Yeah, yeah. Wins or losses, who cares, generally speaking, as for a defense performance, they start off slow or don't start off as good, but or maybe not even slow, but they improve a double-digit increase after, say, October or something. But their average might be 50, but in the second half, they're really a top 30 defense. And I, I mean, I think if there's one thing that could make or break how good this defense could be, you know, aside, from, secondary? <laughs> aside from the pass rush, it's the secondary. Because yeah. they're replacing everyone, basically. Because you know, Asias, Asias Gandhi graduated. You know, like you mentioned earlier, Colton and Hearn transferred to Power Five programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Keon Blankenbanker, you know, the Nickelback transferred. 
Rome Weber safety transferred to Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just because they have a lot of new faces in place doesn't necessarily mean that you can count on them, you know, having to take a big step backwards because they were already breaking in some of the potential replacements late last year. Isaac White, for example, started four of the last five games in Gandy's stead. You know, he's probably set for one of the safety spots. You know, Miles Williams, you know, he's, he's had over 30 games as both the you know contributor in the secondary and on special teams. You know, maybe now is his time to finally crack the starting lineup. And, you know, even if, you know, Colton and Hearn are really big shoes to replace, they've got three guys who could theoretically do it, you know, start to you know, come in and start on the outside. Cameron Stone, who we already know is a, a pretty decent special teams contributor. He had a, you know, a kick return for a touchdown, I believe, last year. You know, he might lock down one spot, you know, and then, and then the pair of powered five transfers that they brought in, Darren Harrell from Wisconsin and Corey Hawkins from Ole Miss, both of those guys have prior starting experience as well. And yeah. Hawkins in particular seemed to be, you know, the subject of some rave reviews over the spring. You know, you put that group together and it may not be the group that we've become accustomed to over the last few years, but it wouldn't be a shock if they were rock solid again. I think, you know, the big question is, you know, they were pretty stingy last year in terms of, you know, their ability to defend the pass. The only team in the conference that had a better yards per attempt average against them was San Diego State, yep. which, which again, high bar to clear, but you know it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they could step up and and be as good as they were last year at a minimum. Yeah, that it'll be helpful as well. But also think about who they play in the conference. They play Boise State, which mm-hmm. Hank Bachmeyer, Utah State, Logan Bonner throwing the ball, Colorado State with whoever's throwing the ball to all the receivers. Jane Norville brought with him and the offense he brought from Nevada. So they're who they play kind of will test that secondary quite often. And more than so, more so last year with what Norville is bringing to CSU with his open passing attack that Shaw, or excuse me, saw success with Romy Dubs, Carson Strong, um, other Elijah Cooks, other players like that who are able to uh, make a name catching the ball. So yeah, in non-conference, I don't know what Illinois will do or Tulsa really will do, but they'll have at least one more team with College State throwing the ball more than normal. Yeah. So um, want to do special teams really quick, or do you care? I, I'm I'm indifferent special teams, but you know me. But I mean, I think it's I think it's worth mentioning because I like Wyoming's potential on special teams. Yeah, the big question is like, yeah, you know, we didn't mention it in terms of like SP plus, but they were 124th last year in every which, special which, teams as- aspect: kicking, returning, punts, all that stuff. I'm not which sounds strange to say, but also when you when you sort of look under the hood, it makes a lot of sense because you know John Hoyland wasn't quite as good last year as he was the year before that you know he was nine of nine on field goal attempts you know of 40 yards or fewer but he was one of three or excuse me not one of three one of five from 40 and beyond so i think you know if he can show a little more range i would i would have to imagine that you know they want to be able to rely upon him at least a little bit more to to close in on some scoring opportunities but also you know ralph fowles came in as a freshman punter and I would say he held his own in terms of like freshman punters. You know, he averaged over 42 yards per kick. You know, he had a long of 76 yards. And so I think there's, there's definitely room for growth there. And if, and if Cameron Stone comes in and, and I'm assuming he'll probably hold down at least the kickoff return duties. You know, I think we sort of have some known quantities on that and in, in that aspect of the game. If they could be just a little bit better, you know, we, we always say like, you know, 10% better. Yes. 
that's one of those you know small things could, that could make a world of difference in any given any given Saturday. Hey, look at San Diego State, Colorado State. Those guys putting the ball you know exactly. I mean? All right, so okay. their non-conference schedule. Oh, there you go. Very manageable. They are very manageable. So non-conference schedule. We'll wrap up going through a schedule. And here's a caveat for those who are new. When we talk about like conference games, we're kind of just kind of speed through those because you'll get to hear every team's thoughts on us. Yes. So we may say, hey, Boise's next week or San Diego State's next week, next week. Or hey, remember that Wyoming show we did three months ago? Go listen to there. And maybe here's a quick Cliff Notes version of what it is. So we're not going to go through every little bit, but we will, here's our win-loss projection time. So yeah. non-conference slate is very, very manageable. They open up at Illinois with Brett, Bil- <laughs> if I could speak, Bielema. Bielema. So I want to say Bielema. Like, no, it's not right. Bielema, Bielema taking over for the uh, Father Christmas beard, Lovey Smith, who is no longer there with his beard. And, well, geez, that was crazy. That was like, that was the craziest look. Bald guy, giant white beard is amazing. But he's, I, th- I think he pulled it off. Oh, he totally did. That's why I said it's amazing. It was great. And now he's hanging out with the Texans. I'm like, oh, awesome. That'd be cool. But they play Illinois, who, if you look at SP, Plus, I put out the, the, uh, projections kind of like where they put them they're basically in the same neighborhood as well i mean as just tulsa then they have northern colorado so they might have a, a similar start to the season last year where they were four and the so they started illinois it's a week zero game august 27th we don't know kick time or tv network i'm assuming a big 10 network as a subsidiary since it's at illinois that makes the most sense week zero who knows maybe fs1 will pick it up for some reason yeah but they're a team where are they are they still considered the basketball school? Matt, would you consider that for Illinois? <laughs> I mean, I'm less well versed in college basketball. I know they made the tournament last year. Okay, they used to be a team, but I, I also I also know that they have been mostly harmless out there in the Big Ten West more often than not. I love that word. They're harmless. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they, 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 they pop up every so often. Like they, you know, they made the Rose Bowl back in 2007. But oh they my were, gosh, they were five, year... they were five and seven last year. They made the Rose Bowl because the Big Ten want the Rose Bowl wanted the it Big was Ten messy. Team. Yeah. And they were like the third best team because all the other teams are really good. Yeah. And like we'll take the next best team. Like, boy. But they uh but yeah, so ironically enough, good. last year's Illini team, you know, if you, if you really look at what they accomplished, pretty similar to Wyoming yeah. in that, you know, the the preseason projection for SP plus, for instance, 98th on offense, 32nd on defense. Oh, sorry, I should do it. My apologies. This is Brett's second year with the program, not right. the first year. Yeah. Excuse me, that was, the, that was where they ended last year. I'm, I apologize. So 98th on offense last year, 32nd. First on special teams. Hmm. But I would say, you know, you might think, you know, Illinois football, you know, Wyoming should be able to go in and, and walk all over them. But they might actually be building towards something because, you know, they've made some really interesting moves. They have a new offensive coordinator, Barry Lunny Jr., who last we checked in, he was the offensive coordinator at UTSA during their breakout season last year. You know, so he had a hand in, you know, Sincere McCormick breaking out, Frank Harris and all that down in San Antonio. They also have a new transfer quarterback, Dane, uh, Tommy DeVito from Syracuse, who it was solid, if not necessarily spectacular, you know, during his time with the Orange. And they also have a running back duo in Chase Brown and Josh McCray, who, you know, by Parker Fleming's EPA metrics over at CFBGraphs.com, they were a top 50 unit last year. Uh, if you prefer, you know, old fashioned yards per attempt, the two of them combined for 5.5 yards per carry on nearly 300 total carries. Okay. Add to that, you know, a slot receiver, Isaiah Williams, who as freshman, 47 catches, 525 yards, four touchdowns. 
The research that I did seemed to indicate he could get a lot more work on the inside, you know, a lot more volume um, in, in Lenny Jr.'s new offense. I think the biggest questions for them are pretty similar to that of the Cowboys is, you know, how well are they going to replace some of their defensive talents? Because that was really what carried the day last year. They only gave up, I think, 21 points per game. A lot of that had to do with the, you know, their safety Kirby Joseph, who got drafted in the NFL. They also lost their top two linebackers, mm-hmm. Owen Carney Jr. and Isaiah Gay. But th- that's not to say that there's not a dearth of talent on that side of the ball, too. You know, Tariq Barnes had 80 tackles and six TFLs last year. And they've got, you know, a few, you know, freshmen and sophomores, you know, up front, especially Keith Randolph Jr., Jerjon Newton had six combined sacks and nine TFLs last year. So if they could put it together on offense, uh-huh. it seems like the Sorry. Illini could run away with it, if, especially if Wyoming can't figure out their own problems. So it, it seems like the kind of game where, like, if both teams scuffle, it could be a rock fight. But it could just as easily be like if one team figures it out on offense, they could they could definitely keep the other team at arm's length. It just sort of depends on which team answers the most question pressing questions on offense more quickly. Yeah, because the teams are fairly like you mentioned SP plus pretty close. And Illinois shouldn't be scared while I'm in for any stretch. However, like the recruiting talent, stuff like that is going to be higher, even in Illinois, who's not an amazing Big Ten team. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's any betting lines out for this, but like, if I were in Vegas, I would have to imagine the Illini are maybe a slight home favorite. What would you say? A touchdown? Or I would a say a touchdown. Yeah. I know there's a bunch of week one lines I could look up here, but I don't have them up in front of me. I'll do an article. There'll be an article at some point on the site. And there's some random. There's that huge, well, I won't get to it, but there's some big swings from week to week. But I would predict Illinois by a little bit. But I would, I would this, too. This would have surprised me if Wyoming were going there to win. Because they probably had the better quarterback, better running game, probably better defense overall too, right? Close to it, not too far off. I'm on paper, and and this is why I picked Illinois to win this game. On paper, I think the Illini defense is is is, is probably going to be slightly better than the Cowboys defense. I get, yeah, I guess the losing those big guys in the in the portal and also draft, but it's, but I, I also like to base on history. I know Brett Bill what was he before? He's at Wisconsin, right? Yeah. And, and then, then went, Arkansas as well. Yeah, with SEC for me because he goes he's like the SEC's not the Big Ten. Well, welcome back to Big Ten. See how it goes for it this time. But my part of it is like basing on critical history. But I'm gonna I leave Illinois by a little bit, but I'm like maybe when we get to game week, I may change my mind. But they're I don't know. It was didn't go that great. They're five and seven, no bowl game, average defense. A little bit better than last year, like all the stuff you mentioned, allowing fewer than 20 points a game in seven of their contests is a pretty big deal. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think the Illinois is likely to run away with this game. I would probably peg it as like 60 40 if we're going to put it in those terms. Something like that. So, I start them off 0 and 1. Then they had they play Tulsa. Like they could win, but they, the next game is Tulsa. They go to the MAC. Another, just, another team oddly reminiscent of Wyoming. How so? Because if, if, if you look at what they did last year, they were also seven and six. They were four and four in one score games. They they lost by one score to UC Davis, Oklahoma State, Navy, and Cincinnati. Like they were they were a very strange team week in and week out. Yeah. Um and but, are, right? but yeah, and but and the, but they were still like pretty decent overall, which is sort of like that's why. 
you know, both of these teams have, I think, at least a little something in common. I think the, the question for them is like, how are they going to replace some of their losses, which I think is a little harder to do than it than it might be for Illinois. You know, case in point, you know, they're replacing their top receiver, Josh Johnson. They're having to replace, you know, two offensive linemen who were drafted in the NFL, including a first round pick who went to, went to Dallas, I believe, Tyler Smith. It's a big deal, yeah. Um, so, you know, they do have uh, a, an option at quarterback who's, you know, pretty much set in Davis Brin, who averaged nearly eight yards in attempt last year, but he also had an interception rate of almost 4%, which is not great. Um, like Wyoming, they also have a pretty good offense, or excuse me, a, a running back duo, you know, generic Prince, Anthony Watkins, who, again, not their leading running back last year, but between the two of them, they averaged over six yards a carry. The bigger question for them, and I think what separates, you know, their golden hurricane from the Illini, they're having to replace a lot more on defense. You know, their their top defensive player, Jackson Player, is gone, as well as, you know, other key contributors, Colin Wick, Trayvon Fuller, are all gone, which again, it's not like they're starting completely over. You know, they still got a, a linebacker in Justin Wright, who had 82 tackles and five and a half tackles for loss. You know, they've got, you know, their top cornerback, Tyon Davis, who had 76 tackles and 10 passes defended. But I like Wyoming's chances to to hold serve at home against this team just because, you know, if the offense shoots themselves in the foot, I think it is more likely that Tulsa does that than Wyoming beats themselves. Like they, they might struggle here and there, but I think it is less likely that they are mistake prone in the same way that I think Tulsa might be. So I have this one penciled down as a win. I think Wyoming wins though because the, I believe this is Tulsa's first game as well. They're not going to be playing week zero matchup yeah, so yeah. they get the game the books it's uh back at laramie correct yes okay i didn't have the schedule directly in front of me i i think it'll be well well illinois is not great it'll be a team where they okay we get to we get the game in place a game that's a winnable game and it'll be a maybe talent wise or just athletes will be a bit better so i think yeah i think they can i here's what i think i think wyoming and tulsa and illinois are almost all the same type of game situations because i think wyoming slightly better than tulsa but as we mentioned, Illinois is slightly better than Wyoming, I think. And so I have them one and one, but any combination of wins or loss those first two weeks wouldn't surprise me. 0-2, 2-0, 1-1. I'd say all those are about – give me a 33% chance of either of those records, like down the middle. Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. They play Northern Colorado victory. Um, do we need our FCS minute or are we going to move on? Well, we got to give the people the FCS minute. I didn't look at Northern Colorado, so it's on you. And we didn't discuss this beforehand. So, so <laughs> luckily, with luckily with the Bears, it's pretty straightforward. And and okay. and, I, and maybe Wyoming fans can sort of count their blessings because you know they you know it's a program that struggled to gain traction in the Big Sky. They were three and eight last year. Uh, anemic offense. That was really the story of the year. Only four point two yards per play, which was I think a bottom five offense overall. Yeah. Uh, oh, and also. Um, they lost like 30 players for the transfer portal. Whoops. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with their head coach, Ed McCaffrey, who back in January, I believe there were some, you know, a lot of consternation. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to call it completely Todd Graham-esque, um, but there were, you know, similar allegations of bias. You know, there were maybe some financial aid NCAA violations thrown in there. Um, long story short, this is an offense that might have a new quarterback, even though they are bringing back their you know, inc- incumbent Dylan McCaffrey, which yes, is Ed McCaffrey's kid. 
Oh boy. Um, but you know, he, <laughs> he might be competing with Jacob Sermon who transferred. I think he's like a two-time transfer from Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Oh boy. Um, you know, their top three running backs are gone. Um, their top receiver is gone or excuse me, is back Cassidy Woods, uh, as well as their top defender, David Hogue, who 23 tackles for loss last year and 10 and a half sacks. That's pretty good. Uh, downside is, you know, they're losing, I think three of their other four top tacklers. They're also losing every other pass catcher who had at least 10 catches last year. Probably going to be a long season in Greeley. So that's that's a win for Wyoming. All right, Air Force. We're gonna bust these really quick. I it, here's they have Air Force. Or is a loss yeah. for me. Yeah, it's just a loss. Be, it's it's all Air Force is just better overall, and Air Force could be a sneaky team with a conference title with what they've returning. Has Deke Daniels at quarterback? Uh, Brad Roberts running the ball. Everybody's running the ball. Troy Calhoun. I think they got this one covered. Any reason why we could get the win? Would it be because the offense finds a deep passing threat? Yeah. Would that be enough? I would well, I would think so. Plus a defensive effort, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What about BYU road game, non-conference game? I guess I'll start there because I do a little more BYU than you. So we do have a tweet you retweeted, which you did not know it came from me <laughs> that I made. <laughs> but Wyoming goes to BYU, and as we mentioned on prior shows, Wyoming is the most hated team for BYU. Yeah. Bar none, because they played since the old Rocky Mountain Conference. So this game's at BYU. Lavelle Edwards Stadium, probably last time to play for a bit because BYU's going to Big 12 and fewer games to go around. So with this matchup, here's what I'm going to look out for. Jaron Hall, quarterback. I would say he is an above-average quarterback. Because, I would agree. Because he got hurt a lot last year. He's a dual-threat guy, so that could be an issue. They need, they, they're breaking a new running back. Tyler Jeer's off the NFL. Mm-hmm. They have some pretty good receivers and Isaac Rex and a few other guys out there who can catch the ball. One of the Nakua brothers, I think he's still hanging around BYU. They used to have two of them. But offensively, they'll be, it'll be a good challenge. This will be the best offense they face to date by the most overall offense. It's yeah, top, I agree. Uh, running game, they'll have – they've just got like Pina Cato, will be okay. Defense, they have some pretty good studs. But I don't think it's uh, in an overall elite defense. They're always really good with Klein Satake. Because I remember last year, the Boise State game, I know it was rain and stuff, but they had turnovers, and they couldn't move the ball against a Boise State defense then. If I, I don't think Wyoming, Wyoming and Boise's defense are all that different overall in like stats, statistical wise. Mm-hmm. They're kind of comparable. But I would say for the best, I have this as a loss, unfortunately. Because I think when Jaron Hall plays well, he's a dual threat guy and they have enough guys to throw the ball, a bit more depth. But this would, wouldn't shock me if they were to go in and beat BYU because they don't like BYU. Who knows how much the coaching staff and the players are into it and everything to go after them. But I just think BYU has a bit too much. I know BYU, the one good thing for Wyoming, like BYU's schedule is still pretty power five heavy this year for who they got in the schedule. Mm-hmm. So they might be overlooking BYU. It's like, oh, we got playing, playing freaking Wyoming. Who cares? We played Arkansas. We played, uh, oh, I forget Arizona's schedule, but they have, I think they played Arizona State. They played Notre Dame around that time. They play a couple other Mountain West teams. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, obviously, clearly. Yeah, I'm not sure about, I think Utah State's around there. But I think overall with, if Jaron Hall is their quarterback, they'll probably win. But if they have to go to, geez, I forget their depth right now. They Jake and caught Jake caught over some other guys who never played. If he's hurt like last year, and he's not fully healthy and can't run like what he likes to do, that would be how Wyoming can win this game. So that makes sense. But you know, if you assume that everything goes according to plan, I think the problem is like Wyoming wouldn't be able to keep up scoring points mm-hmm. against BYU. I scored fifty. It depends on the week too. Based on last year, Wyoming had multiple games of thirty plus, forty plus, yeah. and then get shut out, and score ten points. 
So consistency is what pokes you this year. So I say I understand those I see as a win, but that's a trick one. No reason I'm leaning because it's at home. And Spartans have the new quarterback in Shavon Cordero. They have new receivers um, coming in from Nevada. Isn't Cooks going into to San Jose State, correct? That's correct. And then running game, still TBD for, I guess, production-wise, because it's been just okay. Revamped offense, can the defense hold on to its gains? That's true. Is Kate Hall, Kate Hall still around, right? He is. Hey, if he goes to 2024, then boom, give them a chance to win, right? Yeah. For Spartans. That's true. All right, go to Mexico, victory. That's um, a win. <laughs> anything to add on to that? We'll talk more about the Lobos later, okay. but I think, you know, they're, they're, I like what they're building towards, long story short, but I think they're still a ways off. Defense, okay. Same story. I, I say this, of course, but they've beaten Wyoming two years in a row. So, oh, so keep that's that right. in mind. <laughs> that's true. It's at it's at, at um, whatever stadium insert in Albuquerque now. Is it still uh, University Stadium? I believe stadium? it's still University Stadium. Okay. Utah State loss. Mm-hmm. Even though that'll be the game of the quarterback trades with the Fort Bridger rival, John Bridger's rival on the line, not Fort Bridger. It's in Laramie, so I think this could be a sneaky fun game. Also, last year, was it 44-14? 44-17, I believe. 44, whatever. Butt kicking by the Cowboys. They get the host this time. I think Utah State's going to come out and like, we're not letting this happen. Blake Anderson's like, not again, buddies. They're going to take, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one for them. So, at Hawaii, what do you think about that one? Because I'm not sure. I have a win, but I'm like, eh, it's on the road. But Timmy, I have that one liter- marked down as a win too. Literally, yeah, and that's over. mostly because I, 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 I want to be optimistic about Hawaii's offense. I got to do a little more digging before we get to that podcast, though. Yeah, I, I think what we know, they'll want to throw the ball a lot. They have straight Brian Schrager is probably the starting quarterback. I'm assuming, right? It's it looks that way at least for right now. So that, that's what we can expect. This will test the, the at this point, broken and secondary, but still not the same as last year. Yeah. Same with CSU. They go on the road the following game. I haven't beaten them for the get the bronze boot, but at, here's the thing to it. At this point in the season, everybody's played a ton. And assuming I'm, we're not going injury, not playing, whatever, but you're playing eight, eight games in, 10 games in. Mm-hmm. We, we're not sure the Rams quarterback situation, but we know Norvell is going to open it up and throw the ball a lot. And so this could be a similar, I think Hawaiian CSU could be similar in that they're going to want to throw the ball a lot. We just don't know who's there. We know the transfers coming over from Nevada, a lot of them. And so I, that's why I have a win more of the unknown for the Rams, which well means more of a stable commodity of what at this point we're recording here, the third week of May. Now, see, I, I think, have that one as a loss for Wyoming. What's the reasoning behind that? Uh, TLDR. Um, yeah, that's what we're here. We're running out of time. I like Colorado State's offense just a little bit more than I like Cowboys defense right now. Okay, that's fair. This would be, I think this would be, that'll be one of the more exciting games because it typically is. And then same, they, same with Boise State, which I also have as a Wyoming loss. Yeah, Boise State at home loss, at Fresno State loss. Yeah. The offenses of those are just, or not, it's not, I don't want to say it's the offenses are that much better than the defense, which they kind of are, but particularly Fresno, they can't keep up, I don't think. Well, and both of those teams have better defenses than you think. Of course, yeah. They're just better. And they, have fewer, they have fewer questions on the side of the ball right now, too. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Jay Kaner, Jalen Cropper, Hank Bachmeyer to Stephen Cobbs. If George Lonnie's healthy, all the same old stuff we talk about. But they're just better teams overall. And so that puts me with them 7-5. and five. A little surprising. I could see 8-4 and four if they beat Illinois. But I have them going 2-2 two and two in conference play, winning Tulsa, Northern Colorado. And then league play would put them at 4-4. Four and four. See, I've got them at 5-7, and seven, which sort of surprises me. And, and three and three and five in conference. Because you have the Hawaii CSU games. Those are where we differ on, essentially. 
Uh, well, I had them as I had a Hawaii win. Oh no, so CAC and a Colorado State loss. Oh, okay. oh, that's right. Yeah. So what's the other game we had then? Uh, was it in Illinois? No. I've Illinois loss. Did I count sure. wrong? Two, three, four. Five. Oh, sorry. My bad. I'm six and six. I must have. I must have said it early. I had Illinois before is when I changed it. Sorry. I had six and six. So, yeah, my, my mistake. I have them with, uh, let's see, conference one, two and two in non-conference play. Yeah, but I think this it's a really good time to bring up one of the questions that we got on Twitter. That's from, fireworks, uh, Dan? From, at, from, no, no, from <laughs> at, at Peyton Sherum, who was asking, you know, if they're able to get average and consistent quarterback play, is that enough for them to be in a contention in the Mountain Division? Yeah. You think because, so? Yeah. What's, because what I, get, wait, wait. What does contention mean for you? That they steal a win or two. And, and that basically, like, they run 2016 back. Okay. Ooh, which is not so outside nice. their realm of possibility. Like, I think that there's definitely a top tier in this year's Mountain West, and, and which is not to say that I don't think that they're not facing any of these teams, but I think, you know, I like Air Force. I like Boise State. I like Fresno State. But, you know, a lot of these other games are maybe a little closer to 50-50 than you might think. Like, I could see them beating Illinois. Yeah. I could see them beating Colorado State. Mm-hmm. And that right there is two wins. That flips it from five and seven to seven and five. And so, like, if they steal a win, or an extra win or two at home especially, you know, they get most of these toughest games at home as well, which is another thing to keep in mind. Air Force, Utah State, and Boise State all come to Laramie. If they win one or two of those games. It's true. Good home schedule. It's, you know, there's the possibility here that they win eight or nine games. But I just think until until I see that offense comes together, you know, I think I had them at six and six last year. And that was then that ended up being right around where they ended. Mm -hmm. And they have more questions this time around. So I don't see them bottoming out. I find that very, I see that as being a very difficult thing to to forecast. I don't know. I wouldn't put it in contention because they're behind Utah State, behind Air Force behind Boise State for CSU, depending with Norvell, Norvell is a big question mark for me. Cause I could see them. Cause remember last year, there's we'll finish quickly couple, two key play, three games, super close. They could have been a eligible team CSU and mm-hmm. they have three, three wins, which led to a chain of events. I think Rams fans love not having um, run the ball. What's his name? Adazio on staff there. Yeah. But that's a team where it's like, if Norvell picks up or what they should have been last year and improves upon it, that's a team where I'd put Wyoming ahead of them because they had the victory, but their home schedule is helpful. Tough game, Utah State at home, Boise State at home. San Jose State's going to be approved, but that's at home. I don't, I don't think they'll be – I think their best-case scenario would be like 8-4 and four and finishing second of the conference, and 8-4 and four would be because they beat Illinois and um, BYU or Air Force. One of the Two of those three, Illinois, Air Force, BYU, they win two of those three and go 8-4. But mm-hmm. that's only one conference victory, which would still probably put them third. Yeah. So – Six and six for me. Five and what'd you say? Five and seven. Five and seven. You? I hate the Cowboys, man. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> kidding. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I'm joking. It's, I'm kidding. So the Mountain Division is going to be fun. And as of this moment, we should mention because they're not doing divisions next year. We don't know if they're going to pull Pac 12, who's going best. Um, it's wait, is Pac 12 doing it this year? Best top two teams immediately? Yeah. Pac 12 is going best two teams regardless. So we don't know if the Mountain West is going to fall suit and choose the best two teams for a title game. Not that it may matter for Wyoming's sake, but just a little note to throw at the end that there's a chance that Mountain West could go top two teams for the conference title game. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But this is our first preview. MWR.com. Check out our go to Spotify, Apple, wherever you get our podcast, download there. Let us know how we're doing it. If we're awesome, we've got different stuff. We may mix in a few other random shows that aren't team previews, but week one in the books for our previews. 
we will be doing every week posted probably Monday morning, I'm guessing, throughout the summer. Just check the feed, check MW, uh, MWR.com, Twitter, MWC Wire for shenanigans, fun stuff. And yeah, Matt, season is coming close to week week one of our 12-week preview. We did it. We made it. We're done. 